Well, good morning. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, this morning we are back in the Gospel of John. We're back in the Gospel of John, uh, back in our series Captivated by Jesus. And this morning we are in John chapter 18. John chapter 18. So I invite you to turn there with me to John chapter 18 this morning. We are looking at Jesus' arrest and Jesus' trial this morning. And we're seeking to answer the question, why should Jesus' trial captivate us? Why should Jesus' trial captivate us? And so we're going to look at that and we're going to figure out why. If you remember, it's been uh, about six weeks or so since we've been back in this series. And what we're doing is we're working through the Gospel of John and, and we're seeking to see how is it that Jesus should captivate us. John's Gospel is a come and see Gospel. John wants us to come and, and see Jesus for who he really is. And as we see Jesus for who he really is, we should be captivated by Jesus. We should be drawn into Jesus. He should be the one that we are seeking salvation and he should be the one that we are praising. He should be the one that we run to in times of trouble. He should be the one that we are telling others about as we are pointing them to hope because Jesus is our hope. He has captivated us. Amen. And so as we work through this gospel, hopefully you have been captivated by Jesus. And hopefully as we finish out, you will be even more captivated by him as we begin to look at the trial and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus as this book ends and the hope that that provides for us as believers in him today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to dive in to this message God, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather as the church. We thank you for your word that we are able to open it, that we are able to freely proclaim it, Lord. And today, as we look at your text, draw us into you, Lord. Captivate us, God, so that we are running to no one else except for you, God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you have experienced times in your life when you felt like everything was spiraling out of control. A time when it seems like this, this winter set in and the winter would not let go. Any number of life events can send us hurtling into this downward spiral, failing a test or worse yet, failing a grade. Not getting into the school that, that we desire or getting passed up for that promotion. Getting let go from your perfect job. A divorce, a death in the family, a, a natural disaster, an illness, a pandemic like we are facing now. All of these events and more can send us spiraling out of control into this downward spiral. And if we're honest, the pandemic has, has done that to many of us, right? The pandemic that we are in the midst of over the last six months, our world has been turned completely upside down. We've gone from gathering together with friends in large groups and taking trips and making that morning commute to work to isolation, masks, staycations, and working from home while our kids are running around with their heads cut off because they can't go anywhere, right? Everything is up in the air. When will we be able to return to normal? What's school going to look like in the fall in just a, a week or two? Will we ever be able to leave our house without a mask, go out to dinner with our family, or visit our parents or grandparents without fear of spreading a virus to them that could be deadly? Life has spiraled out of control in 2020, and I'm ready for 2021 to get here. I'm sure you are as well. We're in a free fall. And while we're facing this difficult and 
and disruptive. We are still in this free fall. But guess what? And we're not the only ones. We're the first ones to get caught in this downward spiral. Throughout every single generation, from the beginning of time, they have faced a cold winter, a spiraling fall. Adam and Eve, they were kicked out of the perfect garden, and they were cursed. Abraham was was asked to leave his family and and his inheritance to a land that that he had no idea about. And and when he finally had the son that that he had longed for for his entire life, he was asked to sacrifice him. Thankfully, the Lord intervened at the last second so that that didn't take place. But, But could you imagine? And before him, Noah... Noah literally watched as the world around him was flooded. And David, David was not only hunted by Saul, but also by his own son. And, and Daniel, he was, kicked, he, was, he was exiled out of the promised land. He was taken to Babylon. He watched as several of his friends were thrown into a fiery furnace. And then later, he ended up in a, in a lion's den himself. And Jesus, Jesus was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was arrested by the, by the very people that, that he came to save. His trial was a sham, and even though Pilate knew that, that he was innocent, he didn't immediately let him go. and said Pilate allowed the Jews to determine what to do with him. And shockingly, the Jews, when, when asked what to do with him, who they should let go, they, they chose Barabbas, a revolutionary in place of Jesus. And when asked what they should do with, with Jesus, Pilate heard the refrain, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him over and over again. You see, we aren't the first to face difficulties, to face a long, dark winter. Many characters throughout biblical history have had difficult days. And one benefit of of Jesus facing these difficult days is that He can sympathize with us. The writer in Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." You see, our God is a God who knows what we are facing. He has experienced difficulties and and unfair situations himself, yet he did not sin, which is why he is able to act as our high priest, the one who advocates at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. When we examine the situation surrounding Jesus' trial, by all accounts it seems his, his life was spiraling out of control. But is that really the case? Was Jesus' trial and his crucifixion something that, that, that he could not control? You see, that, that's why things seem like, like it's spiraling for us. Because we can't control those situations. But is that true in Jesus' case? Was he facing a situation that, that he could not control? Was, was Jesus, the Son of God, impotent before the angry mob and the powerful Romans? Did the Father decided to use Jesus' death as a means of our salvation because he had no other choice? Or was there something else at play? See, if you've been around church for a long, any, any length of time, if you have heard of Christianity, or if you call yourself a believer in Jesus, you know that, that Jesus' trial, Jesus' death, Jesus' crucifixion is the central event of the Christian faith so meaningful that crosses adorn you know, the, the steeples all over the city on churches. The people, they wear crosses as jewelry. They wreck them in their yards and they tattoo them on their bodies. 
The cross is a big deal for Christians. It's, it's a big deal because it is the torturous means by which Jesus died. And it is Jesus' death on the cross that provides us with salvation from release from sin, Satan, and, and death. We're freed from the bondage of sin. You see, Satan is, is no longer our master. We have hope. For the future, we no longer have to look forward to you know, eternal death where God's wrath is, is poured out on us forever and ever. Instead, we are able to live as, as God's children. We are citizens of, of an eternal kingdom. And we are destined to, to live in for all of eternity this perfect Edenic paradise. A recreated world as we looked at last week. Restored world. While Jesus' life and death is, 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 a, is a huge benefit for us, right? I mean, Jesus is our high priest. Our, we no longer have to fear God's punishment. We experience salvation. Jesus' death did not occur because things spiraled out of control. It was not plan B. The salvation that Jesus provides is according to plan. So look at the text beginning in verse 1 of John chapter 18. And as we look at this, I want you to pay special attention to verses 4 and verses 11. Not that the other scriptures are not important, but for our purposes here in point 1, verses 4 and 11. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron. And Jesus is where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And now Judas, was betrayed, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples, and so Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and, and fell to the ground. And so he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. And so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you have gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And so we see here in verse 4, it makes it clear that, that Jesus knew what would happen to him. And not only do we see that Jesus knew what would happen to him, but as we, as we look back through the Gospels, Jesus predicted his death several times. In John three fourteen through 15, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And so just like the serpent in the wilderness provided salvation from the fiery serpents that were, that were biting all of these folks in, in the campment there, in the wilderness, as they looked upon this serpent that was put on a pole and raised up in the air, they experienced salvation from those fiery serpents around them. Jesus provides salvation for all of those who look on him and believe. Amen. As we see here, this is in John chapter 3. 
Jesus knew that this was going to happen. Jesus knew that he was going to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. In John chapter 8, beginning in verse 27, Jesus says this, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You see, Jesus knows what will happen because he is from the Father. He and the Father have communicated. He knows that he has come to pay for the sins of mankind. And just one more in, in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. You see, Jesus knew he was going to die. Jesus knew that the death that he was going to die was going to be by crucifixion. Jesus knew all that would happen to him. He and the Father planned for him to drink the cup of wrath before the foundations of the world. After Peter strikes Malchus, cutting off his ear instead of his head, and, and one can look at that and one can argue, man, I don't know if I want Peter on my side as a soldier. I mean, he missed the dude's head and got his ear. But, but regardless of that, we see that Jesus tells him, he looks at him, he says, Peter, put away your sword. Put it away. Am I not destined to drink the cup of the Father's wrath? The cup that the Father has given me. This wasn't a plan that, that Jesus and the Father came up with while he was praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? It seemed like things were closing in on him. His time was coming. And it's not like he just said, Father, what are we going to do? Let's come up with a plan now. Let's see how we can redeem mankind. Things are coming to an end for me. No, that is not what happened. Their plan stretches back to before the foundations of the world. Before this world was, was even ever created. Paul highlights the eternal nature of Jesus and the Father's plan in Ephesians 1, 3-10 when he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Jesus' death, the salvation that He provides, was according to plan. It was not plan B. It was not something that, that, that could be stopped. It happened right on time and according to God's eternal plan. God literally moved heaven and earth for Jesus to be arrested at the moment that he was arrested so that we might experience salvation according to God's eternal plan. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. You are a Christian today because Jesus died according to plan, not by accident. According to God's sovereign plan, He came, He lived, He revealed Himself in the garden when He didn't have to. 
You're a Christian today according to God's eternal plan. How amazing is that? How humbling is that? How much worship and, and praise of God should that inspire in us? Amen. Not only was the salvation Jesus provided according to plan, the salvation Jesus provides was freely given by Him. He doesn't run when the guards come. It was, it was night. Jesus could have easily escaped. I mean, I mean, he has gotten away from the, the religious leaders in the past just walking right through them at times. So Jesus could have easily escaped this situation. But, but instead of running, what does he do there in verse 4? He came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? And then they told him who he was going to seek. And then he identifies himself in verse 5. He says, I am he. And he not only identifies himself once, but so that there is no mistake that, that he is the one whom they are seeking, he identifies himself a second time as Jesus of Nazareth, as the one whom they are seeking, as the great I Am. And not only does he stay instead of run, but, but he allows himself to be arrested by the guards so that he might drink the wrath that God had prepared beforehand. He stops Peter from, from fighting for him. He, doesn't, he allows himself to be bound and, and led away by these folks. And Jesus did not allow himself to be arrested because he was powerless or because he was, he was trapped. In, in verse 6, Jesus tells us, when, when, he, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, our, our English translation, it kind of smooths this over a little bit here, but in the Greek it literally reads, I am. And where have we heard that before? In the Old Testament. There are references to God. God calls himself the great I am. I am the Lord. I am. He refers to himself consistently over and over and over again as I am. But probably the most memorable passage is, is when Moses is speaking to Jesus out of the burning bush. And there he claims that he is, I am. When, when Moses asks him, listen, I, you're telling me that I need to go to Pharaoh. And you're telling me that I need to go to the Israelites. And, and you're telling me that I need to tell Pharaoh, the great ruler of Egypt, to let these people go so they can come out of the wilderness and worship you. What am I... Who, who do I say sent me? Who do I tell the Israelites sent me so that, so that they might actually follow me out into the wilderness and they might stand firm against Pharaoh as well? And God says there in Exodus 3.14, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And here Jesus, he, he takes this name on himself. That is astonishing because Jesus, in this instance, is claiming to be God. When Jesus claims the name I am for himself, he is claiming something that no other leader or world religion has ever claimed. He is claiming to be divine. and not, not someone who can just lead you to God. Not someone who has come and just speaking on, be, on behalf of God. Not someone who has the truth that will help you to understand God better. No, Jesus is saying, I am God. He is taking this, this power, this majesty, the, the glory of, of who God is, and he's centering all of that on himself at this moment. And he can do that because he is God, the second, second member of the Trinity, the Son of God. 
And as we see here, no one has power to stand in the presence of God. He is holy and we are not. When we are in his presence, we, we buckle at the knees. Ezekiel and in Ezekiel 1 couldn't stand before the glory of God. The priests who were, who were continuing to minister in the temple after, after, it, was, after it was built in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 could not stay in the temple and minister when the glory of God began to fill that place. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he feared that, that he would come undone, that he would literally be ripped apart, that he would die because he was in the presence of the Lord before his glory. And many, many others who entered the presence of the Lord fell to the ground just like these soldiers did this day in Jesus' presence. And I don't say this in a flippant way, but, but Jesus is, is flexing here, if you will. He's saying, you cannot take me unless I allow for you to take me. Your legion of soldiers, your battle-hardened Roman soldiers, 600 or, or more soldiers have, have come and descended on this garden with weapons to take Jesus. You cannot take me. You have no power over me unless I give that power to you. I am the holy God. I am the creator of the universe. I am the sustainer of all things. You are only allowed to arrest me here today because I am allowing it. And he allowed himself to be arrested so that he might drink the cup of the Father's wrath that was prepared beforehand for him so that we might experience salvation. Notice also as he continues, Jesus does not try to escape his trial. He does not walk away or call angels to come and rescue him. When he goes before Annas and, and Caiaphas and, and even Pilate there, he endures false accusations. He does not plead with Pilate to, to spare his life. He answers his questions in 32 to, to 36, telling Pilate that, that his kingdom is, is not of this world. But, but he doesn't make a plea regarding his, his life. Instead, he reaffirms his purpose to speak the truth in the world in, in 37 and 38. Truth Pilate does not really want to know. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. And then later in the chapter, in, in, in 19, verse 11, Jesus tells Pilate the only reason that he has the power to pronounce any sort of judgment over him, the only reason he has the power to crucify him is because it has been given him from above. You see, Jesus' words back in John chapter 18 ring true. No one is able to take his life from him. He lays it down on his own accord. Jesus freely gives his life according to plan so that we might experience salvation. And the salvation that Jesus provides is not deterred by our sin. Amen. Jesus knew the Jews would, would sin against him. It was no mystery to him that, that the leaders of Israel would, would continually seek his life, that, that Pilate would, would leave him out to dry to, to save himself, that the people to whom he came would, would pick a criminal for release instead of him. Jesus knew he would be betrayed and died. He knew that, that Judas would, would give him up. He predicted that that would happen. 
And Jesus knew that that Peter would would deny him to save his own life, even though he said that, I will die for you, Savior. He predicted Peter's denial in the same chapter that he predicted Judas' betrayal. John even calls attention to Peter's denial in the narrative. He focuses in on it in two separate times to show that, that Peter did indeed deny him three times and a rooster did crow on the third. Not only did he know that Judas would betray him and Peter would deny him, but Jesus knew man would continue to sin against him. Man had been, had been sinning against God since, since the beginning of time, and, and we haven't stopped, and, and we didn't stop when Jesus came, and we didn't stop when, when Jesus left. We have continued to do that over and over and over again. In Psalms 2, 1 through 3, we read, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. All throughout redemptive history, man has rebelled against God, wanting nothing to do with Him. And again... As we've already seen, Jesus knew the people would call for his crucifixion. He predicted it several times throughout the Gospels. But he offered hope to the sick. He offered hope to the hurting. He offered hope to the dying. He saved despite the sin against him. Now, for all honest, we we have sinned against God and we, we continue to do so. You know, I grew up uh, around church. I grew up around the Christian faith. My mom took us to church every single week. I attended a a small Christian private school. I went to VBS. I went to summer camp. I went to winter camp. I went to whatever other camp that that you could have as, as a student, you know, growing up. I heard the stories of the Bible, and at some point I even claimed to believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But I still lived in rebellion to God. I did things my own way. I kind of sprinkled in a little bit of Christianity here with, with, with things, doing things my own way. And I thought of people who did that, who, who kind of just sprinkled a little bit of Christianity into their life while they're still living how they want as, as those who are cool Christians. But that's not what it means to be a Christian. Though in God's grace and mercy, He... He still pursued me, though I sinned against him, and I continued to sin against him, and I continued to rebel against him. He sent peers from the youth group that I attended who who challenged my thoughts about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. If you're going to claim to follow Jesus, you actually have to follow him, they said to me. Not with just some of your life, but all of your life. Not just sprinkling a little bit of Christianity in while you do your own thing. But eventually through those conversations, eventually through Bible study, I came to see that, that I really was not following Jesus. I gave my life to Him and I began, began pursuing Him with all of my life, not just little segments here and there. And you know, I was impacted by, by God's pursuit of me as, as we all should be. Reflecting on the gospel and and God's pursuing of my life, I I was driven to worship Him, not just through song, but but through my whole life, through through the every day as I continue to follow Him each and every single day of my life. I was also driven away from a performance mindset. 
I no longer believed that, that I just had to clean myself up before I would, I would come to God. Or I would make myself worthy to be able to come into His presence. See, Jesus freed me from that mindset because Jesus performed on my behalf. Jesus has performed on your behalf. You know, growing up I had a friend who, who liked to work out. And instead of, of going to the gym to work out after maybe he had he had taken some time off before going to the instead of going to the gym to 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 work out and and to get in shape he would he would say man I, I can't join the gym with you right now um, I, I've got to work out at my house for a little while because I got to get in shape I got to get strong I can't go into the gym where people are going to see me you know not being able to lift the weights that I used to be able to lift or lift the weights that I think that I should be able to lift so that when people look at me they're not like man that guy's weak and so he would work out at home for a while, and he would buy weights and do all of this stuff. And then finally, when, when he felt like he was up to par, he would come and, and he would join the gym. Now hearing that, you probably think, man, that, that's pretty silly, right? I mean, the gym is where we go to get in shape. And that's what I would always tell him. I'd say, man, the gym's where we go to get in shape. they got all these weights. they got all these machines. Come on and let's work out. You know, give it a couple weeks and you'll be fine. We think that. We think it's silly, but, but oftentimes, this is how we are approaching God. We believe that we've got to be in some sort of spiritual shape before we can come to God. We believe that we have to clean ourselves up before we can come to God. But unlike my friend who could work out at home and, and who could get in shape so that when he went to the gym, he could lift the weights that he thought that he needed to lift and he could be in the shape that he wanted to be in, we cannot get ourselves in spiritual shape before turning to God. God is the great I am. God is holy, holy, holy. And we're not even one singular holy. We are completely wretched people. There's nothing that we can do to clean ourselves up. There's nothing that we can do to get ourselves in spiritual shape before turning to God. And the good news is, is that we don't have to do that. God turns to us. God comes to us, even though we are dirty, stinky, rebellious sinners. And He accepts us, and He cleanses us, and then He uses us for His kingdom purposes. I realize that, and I stop trying to clean myself up. I stop trying to perform for God before coming to Him. And I hope that, that, that you would realize that as well. We should not live underneath this performance mindset any longer. Not to earn our salvation, nor to keep our salvation. Jesus has performed on our behalf according to the plan that he set forth before time began. Amen. And when I realized that, I was deeply affected by the power of the gospel in my life. By the love of God for us. And hopefully the gospel has affected you in that way. Hopefully God's pursuit of you would increase your infections for him. Hopefully knowing that Jesus died according to plan, despite your sin, despite your rebellion, draws you to worship God with your entire life. A God who would die for us according to plan and his own will, even while we deny him and we sin against him, is a God that should captivate us. That is a God that should draw us in. That is a God that we should worship and follow with our entire life. That is Jesus. Do you know him? Are you following him? Have you turned your entire life over to Jesus? If you know him, 
in that way. Then worship Him. Worship Him with your whole life. And if you don't know Him in that way, you can know Him. He has come despite your sin, despite your rebellion, to die for you. And so once you turn to Jesus today, once you believe in Jesus today as your Lord and as your Savior, once you begin following Jesus today, not with just some of your life and sprinkling a little bit of Christianity so that you're a cool Christian, but with your entire life, dying to self for Jesus. Jesus has come for us according to plan. Once you turn to Jesus Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we come to you thankful for who you are. Thankful for the salvation that you provide for us. Thankful that you have come according to plan, despite our sin, despite our rebellion, despite us denying you, Lord. God, we pray today that this would draw us into you, that we would worship you in a greater way, knowing that. And for those who don't know you, Lord, God, draw them to yourself. Bring them to yourself. Continue to pursue them, Lord, so that they turn to you and believe in you as their Lord and as their Savior. And this we pray in Jesus' name.